Hi, welcome to Fighting to Win, the series where we share real stories from the front lines of the environmental justice movement. We're the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice, and we support activists around the country who are fighting against toxic chemical pollution in their communities. Most of them are everyday people who discovered toxics threatening their neighborhoods and decided to create the change that they need. Here at CHEJ, we connect communities to each other. So when COVID-19 hit, we launched a webinar series to bring organizers, activists, and community leaders together despite the distance. These conversations have been rich and inspiring, and now we want to share them with you as a reminder that we are together in this fight. And not just that, but we are fighting to win. Subscribe to Fighting to Win now, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you for being with us. because we have Mr. Charlie Powell uh, with us today, who is um, a longtime community leader in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And we're gonna talk to Charlie about the uh, situation in South Birmingham and the, uh, the issues that the community is facing there, but also a little bit more about his background in his life. Charlie, I want to say welcome. welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm good and thank y'all for having me. And how long, so how long have you been in Birmingham, sir? We came to Birmingham uh, when I was nine years old. It, was, it had to be in 62 or 63. So I've been actually around there in Fairmont 43 of my 67 years. Gotcha. And what? where did you come from? Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. Right. Wow. So what does a young nine-year-old Charlie remember about first moving to Alabama? Well, it, it was um, kind of, it, it was kind of experimental because I can remember a lot of stuff that happened there, the good times, the bad times, and all that. That same community that we moved in, well, there was like dirt roads, no running water on the inside, and all of this shit. But during that time, I guess I didn't know how poor we was or how things was going on because everybody was in the same atmosphere. And the more I look at it now, I said, Ooh. We was kind of poor back then, but in that neighborhood, it, it really you really didn't know because everybody was living the same way. Where we drunk out of well waters and springs, and during that time, this and I guess this what made me do what I'm doing now because now drinking out of them wells and spring water, they still had those founders running back then and. I never really knew what it was until I had graduated and got old enough. I was seeing all this stuff. We was talking about this stuff mostly in school, but not like that because during that time, they was calling uh, the whole Birmingham, Alabama, the uh, steel city of the South, like they did Pittsburgh. And there was a lot of steel mills going on around here, foundries, and I worked in quite a few of them before I decided that I needed to be a truck driver and get out of there because it was bad. In there. But how old but, were you when you started working at the at the steel mill? Well, 
during that time and that era, uh, you would always you could always get a job there uh, because either you had your grandfather, some had their fathers, and even uncles and cousins that worked in them places. Called before I went into the Mac Wayne, I was working at a galvanized place where they made wire fence and they galvanized it. And um, the more I think about that, that was even just the dangerous and more chemicals were used in there. But I left there uh, because I worked it in the high school and I left there and went into McWayne while I was kind of making a very good, decent wage. And I kind of liked it that, but then there was, I mean, it was big health risk out there. So after working out there from, I think that was 83, no, that was from 70, 76 or 77 to 83. I left there after uh, uh, they had that big explosion out there and the place was shut down for a while because we had two guys got killed and a bunch of them got hurt. Oh my so, God. Uh, after I left my there, I was riding with my brother one day in a truck and I wanted to drive a truck so bad that I applied for a truck driving job and didn't know how to drive a truck, but they never gave me the experience that gave me the truck. And I left there going to Cleveland, driving a truckload of wire and didn't, didn't know where I was going in the man in the moon, but I was learning as I was going. And I remember, I would always remember this when I got up there. Well, I messed around in the yard and bagged the truck up a little bit, and I was doing pretty good. But when I got finally got to the destination up there, I had pulled up there and saw all them trucks up there. And how's I'm going to get it in that little space there? So what I did is went to the, in the truck stop. Well, I went in there where all the other truck drivers was, and I asked the guy, I said, can somebody come out here and bag this truck in here for me? And everybody started laughing and they called me Alabama boy. They said, Alabama boy, you drove that truck all the way from Birmingham and can't bag it up. I said, and everybody started laughing. And I got out of his truck and from that day to this one, I've been driving, I drove for a company for 29 years. Before, uh, now what happened in them 29 years, I really didn't retire. I quit June the 6th. It's 705, 2008 was the last day I worked for them. I quit that day. <laughs> and uh, I've been doing fine ever since then. And from then on, I've been working for myself. And then in 2011, I started trying to look and listen to all this stuff that was going around down there. In 2012, when I, I guess you can say uh, made my debut, um, well, we called her the mother of Superfund. Lois Gill came down there and she spoke to us one day. I think it was about maybe 50 or 70 people. It could have been more. Uh, she took over that day and she know how many of these people was down there. And she was saying that they needed an African group around there that can uh, fulfill some of the people's needs and things around here. But I stood up and said, that I'll take it on. And from that day to this one, panic was formed, which panic means people's against neighborhood industrial contamination. Uh, my wife named it that. 
it cost a lot of people around there was dying of cancer, heart attacks, strokes. And matter of fact, she's a cancer patient herself. Um, she's been diagnosed for uh, two types of cancer. One of them was colon and this one is liver. So uh, she's still battling it as we speak. So I got a personal interest in this or a person vendetta against this or whatever you might want to say, but I'm against it. Mm -hmm. And so let me go back to the fact that you left the steel mill barely out of high school to drive a truck using moonshine as a rocket fuel, I guess, because that was the safer alternative, Charlie, to the steel job? No, 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 no. What I was doing, I was driving trucks, not with moonshine. I was driving trucks for a fence company. And uh, how I learned how to bag it up, one of them truck drivers had some moonshine, and, <laughs> and he gave me plenty of nerves because when I was driving up there, I couldn't drive a truck at all. But I figured if I could drive a straight shield, which was a standard, was a six-speed, if I could drive it up there, I'll think about it and I'll learn how to bag it up. But I was going straight all the way. And yeah. you, know, you know, they made fun of me. I learned how to bag it up and the rest of it is history. <laughs> and so what what are the other so what are the other jobs at that point? Take us back. So a lot of people that I've had. Well, what jobs were available to somebody in 19 mid 60s in Alabama. So you could work at the steel mill, you could drive a truck, what else? Uh, that was other little jobs, other little small founders around there. There was always, for employment, there was always a job you could get around there because they've had a lot of uh, companies down there now that has went out of business, like they had stocking valves and fitting. Then they had uh, US pipe. Mac Wayne, Silk Cole, um, and all of them was right around in them neighborhoods. Well, you didn't need a car. You could walk to work. That what, that's what made it so, I guess, so, and during that time, Black people had limited amount of places they can stay. And that was right around there where all those jobs was. And you didn't have to, you could walk to work, but now, you had like U.S. Pipe, Silk Cole, Stockham, Mac Wayne. Then you had a place named Cloud. Then uh, Shula Steel, Costco Foundry. All them places you can just walk to work. And they was right in the neighborhood. And I guess this way they put them down at Berry Foundry, uh, Bill Powell, Fairmont Foundry. And... Uh, all those places was put, actually, I think, uh, for Black folks to get jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, they had them in there. They didn't have them way out, like in, um, uh, you would say, Hoover, Mount Brook, Homewood, Destager. They had one in East Lake, which was Colonel Steel. But the rest of them was around there in the North Birmingham area. Gotcha. ABC, ABC, and all of them are so close till you can get to them. And basically, you had uh, founders 
right around in all of those areas. And, and most of the people around there, a lot of my friends didn't want to go into the foundry. So they left and went to Detroit to the Motor City and started working on cars. I decided, why would I go way up there to work at a car plant and I was making the same amount of money here? You know, it, it, jobs was plentiful basically for the black folks back then in those foundry because it was hard, dirty, and nasty work. And what, so do you remember what the pay was uh, at the plant? When I started out at McWayne, uh, I left a foundry making, uh, I think, about four thirteen an hour, and went there making six. Uh, that was six seven and five, and it was union. It was a unionized union job. And as I was there, I got to be the vice president of the of the of uh, uh, that was uh, Mac Wayne. And uh, the money was pretty good back in that era because you had. Minimum wage back then was like three twenty-five or three seventy-five. I was making eleven something and eight and three, and was still climbing because they had jobs that you can bid on if you've been there long enough. And they yeah. had guys there basically, and it was kind of hard to get those jobs. And this was this had no bearing on black or white because you had most of those older black and white guys. When I got there, they had been there 20 some years and still wasn't old enough to retire. Mm -hmm. And what's so dangerous about working in steel? Like for, for the people, I think a lot of folks on this call might understand um, that it's dangerous to live around a steel plant because of all the waste that's produced. But if you're working on the inside, tell, tell us about the dangers to the workers. Okay. I worked in a lot of departments down there because I was always trying to make more money and you had to bid on them jobs. When I went in there, I went in what they call the finishing department. Well, I got on a thing, what they was called, and we used to call it the cement liner, but they were lined pipes with cement after they done made the pipes. They'll come down there and line them with cement, this pipe running about been 150 miles an hour and you got to stick a little brush on there with water in it to clean the bills. And you have cement getting all in your face and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but actually that particular job, I liked it because I didn't like it at all, but I wanted to stay employed there and didn't nobody like that job. Once you've been there about three to four years, it was going to be hard for you them to lay you off. So what a rather mean rolling somebody else to get out of the situation I was on because you have to have a rain suit on, then you have to have a face mask on, and then you have to have earplugs in your ear, but it still hits you all in the face anyway. But knowing the job was paying that good and then nobody wanted but me, so there was no chance on me getting laid off. I stayed on that job about four years before I rolled they go up there by the foundry, and that's when they talk about the melting department. I was on the paint machine. The paint machine paid more than the high-speed rolls, which it paid another dollar by the hour. But then you get paint all in your ear. I would have to go to the doctor every so often, let them clean out my ears and get all the paint and stuff out of it. Now I don't want to be there no more. So then I goes into the melting department, and ooh, ooh you got a pipe 
when they make in the pipe, I don't forgot uh, what the greed is or to turn it into a pipe, but they got a machine that runs up there and they pour all that hot milk in there, it's running like water. And then it goes all up in there. When it fill up, it goes down and it spins. And that turns the pipe and they make the pipe hot. And uh, you can easily get that stuff on you and get yourself hurt because if you look at my skin on my arm, I've been burning there a lot of times. And uh, that's when I found out that this ain't for me. I need to be doing something else. Mm-hmm. So I got out of there and started driving trucks. And uh, just before I left, they had a big explosion. And that's what really scared me. Uh, seven peoples got hurt and one man died. I mean, he got burnt mm-hmm. inside and out. And well, they kind of set the plant down for a little while so they can get it straightened out and figure out what went wrong or what was going wrong. And I was never there to find it out. I think I left there in 84 or 85 and never looked back. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of my buddies in there that was in there. After they retired, they died behind some of the chemicals in there. And uh, I'm just glad I got out of there. <clears throat> if yeah. you can remember, on the inside of plants uh, like these, I mean, every worker is going in. I mean, everybody pretty know, pretty much knows the dangers um, as far as getting injured. But do you feel like people were aware that chemical exposure was hurting them? Some of them did and some of them didn't. I was one that knew about it. And, um, I and how did you know? How did you could smell it? And uh, well, when you first go in there, and uh, I've seen a lot of guys leave out, and I thought it was funny. When we first go in there, they send, take you, they'll send you to the storeroom, a bunch of more guys. And when you get there, you get a man to slip that they done gave him, that they done gave you. And some of the people that's going in the foundry, what they do, they give them what you call an insulated suit that'll hold heat. Then they put give you the knee pads that go on your knees, and then some uh, elbow pads. You got to put all this stuff on. Then a face shield and a hard hat and some great big old thick gloves. One guy, I laughed, but it really wasn't funny. And at the time, I didn't care. I I wanted some money. Then then got married and stuff, and I just didn't want to work for no little money no more. Well, then, you know, you're young, you really don't care. And I just want to see how dangerous it was since he didn't want to be in there. But I got a break. I went in the finish department. I didn't go up there all that milk and I was. So they give me a hard hat, a face shield, and some of them big old thick gloves. But that's all they gave me. And some of them had them boots on with flaps on it. So there's no way none of that um, iron can get on you. Well, as I start getting closer to the foundry, that's when I figured out I didn't need to be up there. What a lot of guys used to do, and I've done it. We would bring our lunch to work, but we could bring our lunch to work raw, and it'd be done by the time we eat it. What we used to do is take uh, what they call what we used to, um, after they made the pipe, they put them in the oven, what they call, they meal the pipes. When they meal them, they make them hard, so after they come out, they can withstand any kind of pressure either. So mm-hmm. now, and up, up at the oven, you got a big old steel pipe that when the pipe start, uh, 
when they start going sideways, you take it and roll them and keep them running straight. So what everybody would do, and, and well, I definitely did this year, I would take a chicken and sprinkle some garlic sauce on it, black pepper, and put and fold it up and leave it right up there while, while all that heat was nice <laughs> in your face. Now, lunchtime come, man, all you need is some good light bread and the chicken was <laughs> done, juicy, and ready to eat. But now, the more I think about that, I ask myself this to this day, wonder did any of them chemicals get in there? But I ate it anyway, mm-hmm. and everybody else ate it. But some that didn't have it to eat, you had so much, you would get in some. So, yeah, and I was glad to get in some. So if I die, everybody die. You know, come to find out now, McWayne is defunct. They shut it down because they couldn't keep up with the regulation. They kept finding them for a lot of, they was even dumping coffee and some of the water behind it, which was some of the creeks that ran into Five Mile Creek. So they kept giving them fines until eventually they shut down. That was some of the, the problem reason they shut down. Yeah. They were finding them all the time. Yeah. And ironically, you know, that chicken is uh, not nearly the worst thing that probably went in your body back then. Well, no, so, because uh, you breathe in this stuff. You yeah. right there in the middle. Well, uh, I've been tested for investors. I do have a vestige, and uh, they says, you know, once you test it, then they, you go through the process, and later on, you'll get a check for it, and uh, they check me out about, that was about maybe three to four years ago, and they got people around there getting checked for this, and a lot of people didn't know you could do that. I didn't know till I started reading the fine print. I just put my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and all that on it. So uh, I probably won't make it in my lifetime. And the bad part about it, uh, my wife got investors and what they done. They, I do know if they you've been work and you've been working around somebody with it, that uh you can have it too, like washing my clothes and stuff like that. Yeah. I went and got everything I need to drive a CDL truck, so I would never have to go in a foundry or pipe shop or nothing else with that stuff. You got, there's real close around in that area. Now you got ABC, we always call it the uh, the company with many names. Right now it's Bluestone, it's been US Pipe, Walter Coke, RP. Mm-hmm. So we just called it, and it's right, it's right between all three of those neighborhoods. In other words, those are uh, communities is sandwiched in there. Yep, and we're gonna be talking about them in a minute. And the the reason I was asking you about what it's like on the inside, I think a lot of us as activists concentrate on what happens on the outside of one of those plants. And a lot of times what the companies do is they'll say, well, we're here providing great jobs for the community, right? They try to pit the workers against and this is all management does this right is like they pit the workers against the community where in reality you know it's it's all of us it's all the same people the same people living in the neighborhood or the people working inside the plant and meanwhile you know they run these sort of like divide and conquer strategies and they pretend like the you know the work inside is like 
easy and high paying and oh my God, what a privilege it is to work here at this plant. Meanwhile, people are like quitting because it's so dangerous and, and getting hurt and getting sick and even worse. So thank you for highlighting all of that for us. So um, Charlie, what, what happens on the outside of a Coke plant? Um, for people who don't know, what happens? Um, how does that waste make its way into the neighborhood? Well, they had a place around there they called Irving Dairy. That was a farm. Well, they was uh, producing milk, had milk cows there. And uh, the cows used to go out there and gaze in the uh, field where all this chemical was coming down. See, uh, what a lot of people don't know is I think back then the mid 70s when they came up clean your air act up. But up until then, man, them chemicals was raining on us. You could be coming from, um, like I used to go downtown and we party and we'd be coming back home late at night. And it looks like fog out there. And like it's not, a, it, it could be what, 70 or 80 degrees in the summertime at night. And it looked like fog out there. And that's not fog, that's still coming from the chemicals called you, the chemicals are coming from the plant. You had to wash your car every day out there. If not, them chemicals get on there. If your car sit up about a week, you gotta go out there and scrape this stuff off. Now that I know better, I should do better because if all that stuff laying on your car like that, there, old soot and stuff, you inhaling this same stuff. Mm. Now them cows out there, gazing out there in that grass and stuff, we are drinking the milk because the folks used to come around and they would be in like quart bottles. Now, I don't know how mama then was paying the folks, but what they would do, they would leave two balls out there on, on, on the front porch. And the, and the man would drive around there in the truck, get the two balls and leave two balls. If you put three out there, he would leave get the three balls and do this here. I guess they send the money in or take the money around there. But that's the way they was doing that. Now, mind you, them cows out there gazing in that stove, but we drinking the milk. We already sick, don't know what did. A lot of them didn't know what was going on because mostly the uh, men's worked in the town. They knew it was dangerous. I knew it was dangerous when I went out there, but the money was good. And during that time, they kind of took care of their employees enough well they would keep it out of their mind and go to work and and don't say nothing about it and then most of the people around there worked in the foundry the men so they had good jobs they wasn't i don't want to lose my job this and that because when i first went in there man i was making so much money till i jumped right on up and bought me a new car a motorcycle or a truck and was able to pay for it and still had a bunch of money, but they was killing me alive. I wasn't looking at the big picture in the long haul. That's what they used to say. If I had to do it all over again, I think I would have went on to school and, and what I'm doing now, I probably could have been better off. Uh, my health ain't good and I already know this here, but my mm -hmm. health probably would have been much better because a lot of them, they left here, now they didn't come back. And this done happened to now my daughters and my granddaughters. 
Uh, they done got their degrees and stuff. Like, what can I say? I want the best for them in life. I do want them to have a better life than me. And when did you realize there was something wrong? Like, so when did you realize that all of that, whatever the cows were eating and you were drinking well, the milk from the cows, that, breathing that stuff in, washing it off your car. Like when did people in the neighborhood really realize there was a something A lot of wrong? people realized it, but for some reason they didn't care, uh, just didn't believe in movement. And I was, now what happened to me about 20 years ago, cause I've been in this other community 20 years. I, um, uh, was buying houses around there and I bought some property on the right and left side of me. I was gonna build a split the other house. So then it got done on me. And I'm always talking to elder peoples or uh, peoples that uh, I would say, well, they had a little more going for themselves or I can see them progress and them the type of peoples I kind of dealt with. Now I'm already knowing that I can go borrow money on this property borrow enough money on the property and my house to um, build what I want there. And so I was talking with the bank. They got to talk to me and said, uh, Tyler, I don't think that's a good investment. Said, why would you go and put all that money in this house? You're going to have about a ninety to a $100,000 house and can't get it out of this neighborhood. These these, these are from 25 up to maybe a $50,000 neighborhood and you gonna put all this money in there? He said, well, we can't loan you this kind of money on this because of it. Well, why don't you go and find you a house and come back and uh, we can talk then. Okay. So the first thing I did, I was driving trucks and I started getting off the road and started driving just the box truck running all these communities delivering. So I seen some houses up there in Center Point. Then I seen one in there that struck my eye. So I went in there and got this house. I went back to the bank and they went and looked at the house and then they said, well, we can loan you $35,000 on this house and you don't have to pay nothing down. Oh Lord, I sure didn't want to be where I was then. So I got that and, and fixed the house. And now what I did down there, since I've been doing this active thing in panic, so what I'm gonna do now, I can't get my daughters and them to stay in the house, you know? So I'm gonna go and take out a loan on every last one of them houses. When they call me about their money, give them the keys and the title to all of them. They'll never go back. So I go down there to do that. And they said, uh, yeah, you that man we've been seeing on TV. Talking about all that stuff around there. I know what stuff they was talking about, but I didn't know they were watching the news like they didn't watching me either. So <laughs> and, uh, and what were you saying on the news, Charlie? No, what they were, you know, well, I was on the news talking about all of the pollution around there and uh, how we need to be moved and make this hill or industrial park. Not knowing that they were sitting there looking at the news too. I don't, you know, but when I go down there to execute my plan, it didn't work. They said, you that man I've seen on TV talking about that stuff. I'm trying to play it off. What stuff? What stuff you talking about? You know, and uh, that pollution, she said, and it's real bad around here too. 
I'm still ain't said nothing because I want to pawn the darn house. And she said, Miss Powell, we just ain't going to be able to do that there. She said, oh, you might can find somebody to buy it. She said, but we got mortgages now and now. People walking on from them. So I didn't read the clear print. If I had, I wouldn't have never went down there trying to embarrass. I actually embarrassed myself. So from that day to this one, I start working hard trying to get everybody out there. Matter of fact, I got about four more houses out there. And nobody want to buy them. One of them, I'm holding the mortgage on. So I was hoping I can find somebody else want to stay around there. I'll hold the mortgage on them too. But well, hopefully not it's happening. not hopefully it's not anybody who's watching this podcast. Well, um, they all they already know because when they get there, I ask them why you want to buy this house. It's contaminated around here. And usually somebody that get in my house, they ain't gonna come from nowhere like the east side or the west side. Most of the people that there wanna stay there. Yeah, the let me other- ask you about this. Let me ask you about that, because this is exactly where I wanna go is we have, so for folks who don't know, we're talking about North Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. But we have in this country, an agency called the Environmental Protection Agency, which some of you may have heard about, whose job it is to be regulating, uh, well, ostensibly that's what their job is supposedly, right? Is regulating industry and then uh, cleaning up neighborhoods. So this North Birmingham was declared Superfund site, yeah? Yeah. And when did that happen? I'm not sure, but I think it was between, or it was definitely between 2012 and 2014. Gotcha. So, you know, I'm going to the cleanup, right? You were starting to talk about the cleanup and a couple of your houses got cleaned up. Like, what did you have to do to get movement um, and to get the government to actually do its job? I'm trying to remember just how that happened, but or what they started doing is coming around there testing the soil, but they had to get your permission to test the soil. And when they test the soil, and if it's come up contaminated, then yours was one of the ones they start cleaning up. Now, what happened in my situation, since I was around there advocating against uh, the contamination, they was uh, doing everybody saw but mine. And right when it got close to the deadline, um, I kept raising sand about it and so much sand about it. So what they done, they did one of them. And what they did, it was some across the street. And, I, and Lord knows I don't understand how that happened. But when I think actually they was doing mines to just shit me up because I said, why ain't y'all testing some of my property? So they test, that was 39, that was that 32, 39, uh, Fairmont Place, no. So they tested that. I guess that was, I'm thinking it was supposed to just shut my mouth up. When they tested it, it was 15 times limit of contamination. So they went around the corner while I had some old property and said, wasn't nothing wrong with it. But across the street, it was contaminated. But all contaminated was, with what? What was it? Was, it, was, it was a bunch of chemicals of lead and um, oh. benzene. Arsenic. And this is from the plant, yeah, Charlie? This is from the plant. 
but then what they turned back around and said that uh, a lot of that dirt was field dirt. Said what well, a plant brought it in there because they had holes in their yard and they wanted to kind of close them up and make them look, you know, like like yards. But now, even if so, so that means them was they chem chemicals they put there. But when they was digging up mines, part of it yeah, wasn't no wasn't no uh, brought in dirt there. It was red clay there. And I told them that from the word go, divided that comfort. If y'all let them do this here, y'all gonna have a problem. Mm. And that's the problem we've been having since 2014 up until now. And it's still contaminated down there. They still working with it. And, and they have all of this corruption going on. Now, that should have been enough proof that we needed to be out of it. They get this man three years and he do uh, a year and a half and he out. Says he was so sorry that this happened, that he could do it all over again, that uh, he wouldn't do this here. Well, you know, I think that man, only thing that man sorry over being he got caught. Because yeah. since he's been out, I've been trying to find out where he is. He said he would do anything to help this situation. And I hope he listened to this here. Uh, because uh, Panic would like to talk to him. We, mm -hmm. I actually want to know why did he do that? He said on one of his statements, I don't know why I did that. I could have made three times more than that. Now, you and I both know that's the biggest lie ever been told. If you was doing something, can make three or four times more than 365000 would you have took that or would you took the corruption? So uh, yeah. You I mean, see this what I'm is, going with this? Oh, yeah. You see this what I'm is, going with this here? So look, he wasn't sorry. He was sorry he got caught. And Mr. <laughs> Oliver Robinson, if you listening to us, would you please contact Tyler McPowell of Panning? There what? it is. So I put it out there. If you want to read more about the corruption case in uh, North Birmingham, you can go... I know um, uh, GASP has a, a great website dedicated to some of that and some of the money that the company paid out to people to cover this up instead of paying that money out to people to actually fix the problem. I'm in Detroit, so my grandparents migrated to Detroit from Alabama. And um, what's interesting is we have a lot of the same issues. I live in a neighborhood where we used to have like a BASF plant and they put all these chemicals into the soil and they've been gone 50 years, but a lot of the chemicals are still here. Um, and so just kind of wondering what, what steps you took to organize the people in your community around putting pressure on people for the environmental cleanup piece. Well, what we did, we had to uh, get the meeting with the peoples in the neighborhood and uh when we first met, I asked them what did they want because I was going to work entirely for them. And a lot of them said that they wanted to relocate. Some of them don't. So what we done, we said we uh, asked for relocation for the ones that want to be relocated and compensate the ones that didn't want to move. We set it up like that and, uh, and we've been kind of 
successful with it at this point. You know, because I do believe if they start moving people out of there or the ones that said that they don't want to move, I'm pretty sure they're going to move. Um, I wanted to know, Charlie, how did they, how did you guys get them to shut that plant down? What was the final analysis? Well, that's, that's it, uh, ma'am. They never shut the plants down. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, Mac Wayne was shut down due to all of the fines they kept getting. And I think that was the good part. I don't know how much they was finding them, but oh, you know, okay. when you start hitting folks' pocket, that's when they really get word. And the thing now is that those plants are still there and the people are still cleaning up. Oh, I mean, I don't get no sense out of that. And what's the name of the plant that's still in operation? Um, uh, what's the name? Bluestone, ABC. And uh, well, and you, then you got Silco. They don't ever talk about Silco, but uh, those three neighborhoods are, they sandwich right in between it. The governor of West Virginia's son owns Bluestone. They bought it and their whole, yeah, the Justice family. And their whole thing was, it'll be really easy now to move the coal from West Virginia to North Birmingham to use in the plant. And then the coal piles, of course, are all around Charlie's neighborhood. And so it was a big to do in West Virginia by the governor and his son, the oh. Justice family. Mm -hmm. um, Charlie, we are running out of time. I wanted to ask you, um, where where do we go from here? So 2020 is over. It's been uh, it's been a hell of a year. Um, what's the next step in North Birmingham? The next step is going to the governor to seeking. She put us on the NPL. Uh, we have gotten the, um, the city council and the mayor to do it. So now the next step is to get her to do it. What I don't understand, they keep saying, well, ain't no need you getting on the NPL. Or it's not going to do you any good. Well, put me on it anyway and let me see. You know, why keeping me off it? You know, I, I ain't never been able to understand it. This what I won't give it to me. And I've all, and I've asked uh, Mr. Cook the same thing. Why can't y'all put us on the NPL or get us moving? Y'all are causing of this in the beginning. Mm. And one of the reasons, Charlie, is what Mr. Cook told you. It's because their EPA Region 4 administrator is being charged with corruption around your case. And if they put you on the NPL, that will hurt their guy who's going to court in North Birmingham someday if the pandemic ends. And I understand what all the situation going on, but still they don't understand our point. But yeah. I'm not gonna stop. And if you don't stop, we don't stop. The stronger the movement is, the stronger uh, we're all gonna be collectively. Um, but you know, if you're in Alabama, we need you to um, stand strong, organize with panic, and with gasp and and push the governor and get her to uh, take some charge there, take some responsibility. Um, Charlie, I can't thank you enough for your time, for your commitment, uh, for all of the work that you've done on behalf of the community there in Alabama and and really throughout the country, um, because you're an inspiration to a lot of people. You're a power of example.
and I can't thank you enough for taking the time and being with us today. I want to thank y'all for having me. You never get too old to, to learn anything. I've, I've picked up a lot on this today, uh, helpful hints and from some of the questions that I was asking so I can go keep going in the direction I'm going in. Thank you for listening to Fighting to Win. To learn more about the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice and the communities we're working with, visit www.chej.org. Subscribe to Fighting to Win wherever you listen to podcasts and stay tuned for new episodes.